Thanks for tuning in to PG and Dak's Real Football Podcast. This episode has been recorded and can be found at PG and Dak Real Football Podcast on YouTube. For more PG and Dak content, find us on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. We hope you enjoy. Thanks. How you doing, everybody? Welcome to PG and Dak's short series, episode two, with Bill Lecky. Which are about Bill's 40 years experience in the mad world of Scottish football. This week our proud sponsors is McTassos Giros, great Greek street food at a great price in three Glasgow locations, Buchanan Galleries, Glasgow Fort and Kelvin Way in the West End. We hope you enjoy. Bill, how you doing? Really appreciate you coming and speaking to us tonight. Thank you. No, Top man, Bill. Top man. Nice to see you. Ah, cheers. Um, obviously, we really appreciate it because you've just uh, finished the, the Rangers game there. We're only half an hour after it's finished. And I heard Rangers getting a couple of penalties after the game as well. So, good on them. Pain, pains him to say this, Bill. Do you know what I mean? Absolute pains, a boy. <laughs> that's, that's, what I say. that's the problem with you old farm fans. That one of you is always up there and the other one's away down there somewhere. And next, and next year it'll be the other way about, maybe. And so, I, I think I'm way down, down there, to be honest with you, this year. <laughs> Right, so Bill, um, can you tell us a wee bit about how you started in the kind of journalist world? Well, this this summer, this this pre-season, I'll have been 40 years in newspapers. I know I don't look like it, but... <laughs> mere, hell, mere, mere hell and me, Bill, do you know what I mean? 40 years there as well. Married to a hairdresser, that's why I look... Oh, good. no bad, mate, so am I. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I... I, I, I actually, I, I got my start and I got my bake in newspapers when I was eight Right, I go. I went to see 1971, the old first division. Me and my dad down to see St. Mum, and he's going in the gate, and I'm going in the boys' and OEP gate. And next to that's the press gate. And I look round, and there's my headmaster going in the press gate. I'm like, that's unusual. So inside, he, he sees me. Oh, how, how are you doing? It's not bad. And this is my dad. How are you doing, Mr. Lecky? Blah, blah, blah. And it was the Monday at school I saw him and I said, excuse me, Mr. Sam McDougall, his name was, great old guy. Why are you going in that door? He says, well, you probably don't know this, but um, I write under a, a different name for, it was a paper called the Paisley Pictorial. It was an old weekly newspaper. And it suddenly dawned on me that if you did that job, you could get into the football for nothing. Right? And I thought, wow, that would do me. So I was, I was good at English and that kind of stuff. So but two weeks later, I get called out of class to go down to see the headmaster, I think I've done something wrong, you know, and, and he says, listen, I've spoken to the editor at the Presbyterian, and he knows, I've told him you're really keen, and how would you like to do a wee report for the paper beside my report? So, St. Mun played uh, Air United the following Saturday, and I got to do this wee bit for the paper, and that was me, absolutely hooked, that was the only thing I ever wanted to do after that. Um, yeah. My mum kept a wee cutting in her, in her purse until the day she died, you know, and um, that's just all I ever wanted to do ever since then. That's quite amazing. That's actually, I'm assuming that's something that's really stuck with you because that's quite a big gesture for somebody, particularly when you're so young. Well, to, to have a headmaster or, or anybody in your life, whatever it is you want to do, who really believes in you and, and gives you that encouragement is it's just different class. So um, I've always thought since then, anybody that I ever hear, you know, you get... Kids, you know, email you or you meet parents that say that their kids want to get into journalism or they want to write, whatever. I, I'll always say, go for it. Go and do it. Anything, anything you need, anything that can help. So over the years, I've taken quite a lot of sort of uh, 
journalism students or, 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 or kids of, you know, of um, friends of mine who, who are interested. I've taken them into the press box at games just to say, because I thought that's what he did for me. And maybe if one of them turns out to be, you know, turns out to get a career out of it, then fantastic, you know, because that, that's, that. that gave Love me a that, career. Nah, that a humble, career. humble stuff. I tell you what, as a, as a headmaster, old Master McDougall was just, he was different, different gravy. He was absolutely brilliant. So, so that was me. So I, I went to, I went to college when I left school in uh, 1979 on the day of my last hire. Uh, and then in January 80, I went to college to do journalism at Napier in Edinburgh. Right. And I absolutely hated it. I, didn't, I just wanted to go to work. So I kind of packed it in halfway through. Uh, so I never get qualified in journalism. Um, and I went to, um, I did a couple of, so we part, I worked in a petrol station and stuff. And then I got a chat, I got an interview for a job at the Clyde Bank Press. And I got the job. Um, just doing everything. Junior reporter doing everything. Uh, flower shows and district council and the court and all that kind of stuff. And I got to do the football as well. Um, and that was, that was that was the summer of 1981. And it just, I've not been fun out yet. <laughs> You're doing all right 40 years down the road. That sounds like a song in the summer of 1981, doesn't it? <laughs> that, that, was a, that was the year Charles and Diana got married, I'm sure then. I, I started work on the day they got married. Well, there you go. Well, I'm, not, well, I'm not trying to make you feel old, mate, but I wasn't born in 1986 myself, mate. Right. <laughs> I, I was 1988, so it was even worse. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bill, we did this before, we kind of mentioned off-air, and this is only our second short episode. We did it with Gordon Duncan where we had a week in a run through of what it's like in the Super Scoreboard on a Saturday. For yourselves as a journalist, what's it like the lead up to, say, an old firm game where you have maybe gone to press conferences and stuff and then the game itself? You'd be able to give a wee run through of that. I'd appreciate it. I'm, I'm, quite, I'm quite fortunate these days. I don't have to do the press conference stuff and all that. So I'm, I'm writing a sort of what they call the colour pieces, right? So tonight, for instance, Rangers Antwerp, my colleague Robert Grieve is in the stadium because they're only letting one person from each organisation in the in the stadium. So Robert's in the stadium doing the match report, you know, guy scored a goal and then that happened and then that happened. And I'm doing this sort of analysis, this sort of overview, of the, they, they call it the colour piece. Um, so that would be my job in like an old firm game or like the cup final that's coming up on Sunday or whatever. But um, I used to love doing the pre-match press conferences. They were, I mean, some of them were just amazing. And and especially in the build-up to an old firm game, some of them down the years are, have been legendary. I mean, the the the, the two, during Kendall Glish's time, when he took over at Celtic when Barnes left, um, I mean, Kendall Glish was my idol when I grew up. I named my, my first kid after Kendall Glish. And he just, and when he came to Celtic and you had to go and pan him, it was really quite tough, nice. you know, sitting with one of your heroes and asking him questions because you, you know he's going, right, son, you're going to get it one day, you know. Sort of, and you, just, you know that you're, the first time you get to really meet your hero, he's not going to like what you say to him. And there was two press conferences. There was a one where he took the... We turned up at um, Parkhead to do a press conference and were told that he had changed the venue to Baird's Bar. That's, you know, the, right? one, that's the one oh, Hugh Keevans couldn't get into, was it? No. Or did he get kicked out of that one? No, so the first one is we go to Baird's Bar. And it's Friday lunchtime before the set, the Sunday game at Ibrox. And uh, Beard's Bar is full of uh, some fairly tasty, <laughs> fairly tasty characters, right? Um, who 
Ken Oglis wants to hear what the press ask. And so that was a, you know, went in there and he came out of that thinking, right, okay, he's he's really tried to make a statement here. Because on the Sunday, Celtic lost 4-0 at Ibrox, which kind of led one or two naughty journalists to write the words pub team, right? Oh. <laughs> because he, he, had walk, he had walked in it by, by setting himself up. But a few weeks after that, they did the one where it was to be held at the Celtic Supporters Club at um, on London Road. Right. And that was the one Hugh Keevans didn't get into. Right. Uh, what was the guy, the name of the guy in the door? Finbar O'Brannigan. <laughs> the name of the guy in the door. And Hugh Keevans was not to get in. But of course, that makes it a bigger... So Hugh Keevans goes back to his gaffers and says, oh, they wouldn't let me in. And suddenly, that makes him the the story. So if, uh, if you do things like that, all you do is... I remember years ago, Sunis... Um, banning Jim Trainer when Jim was still at the Herald uh, and throwing him out of eyebrows and calling him, calling him a wee socialist. <laughs> and that just, that just, you just bang on, oh, I'm now a hero for today. So I get, so the, the press conference thing, I used to really, really enjoy doing the big match press conferences because you could really tell before the game came along what mood the managers and the players were in and whether they were on it properly or whether they were nervous and, and, they make predictions and then you see whether they come true on the Saturday or the Sunday. So I, I did really enjoy that. I don't have to do it now. And one of the really rotten things just now during the pandemic is that press conferences are all done on Zoom, which is yeah. great for a thing like this where we're chatting and it's nice and open. But in Zoom, you know fine well, if you ask a question to the manager and it's a bit of a twisty question, they're just going to press the mute button. <laughs> which has quite a lot these days, you know, so... I, we were actually saying then um, before you came on yourself, you know, it's when you're, you're doing this, it's quite difficult because when you talk here somebody, the Zoom just picks up you and it cuts them out almost. And it kind of, it takes away, particularly in that game where like Neil Lennon recently has obviously been coming away with some crazy comments where can I, he kind of get questioned on it properly because it's obviously um, no quite the same as when you're in there with him. Hmm. But, but the, the other thing that's happened is, is uh, there's been such a backlash in recent, recent years, especially old firm level, but you know the old mainstream media thing and that, right? The, what, the result of that is when Celtic did the Dubai thing in January, and there usually would be a press conference where they would have to come and face the music, Peter Law calls in Celtic TV and says... Aye, aye. And so... No questions get asked. No, no offense to the guys at Celtic TV, but they, but they, they know. Aye. Aye. So it's the party line, isn't it? So Peter Law says, "Blah blah blah." This is my apology. The guy's not going to come back and say, "Oh no, wait a minute, here, Mister Chief Executive, I, I have to put this to you." So if you're going to be a fan who says, "I get the mainstream media tea," we, you know, we'll just do it through our club. It's our club that matters. It's, that's what you get. You get propaganda. Aye. And there comes a time. It's great if you're a Rangers fan just now. You don't care what gets said because it's all good. Everyone's positive. Who's going to, anybody that picks holes in Rangers just now is just trying to pick holes in Rangers. Whereas we're a Celtic fan, you want answers. Aye, definitely. definitely. In the case of Peter Lowell there, you're not going to get the answers. Aye. Is no, there anybody you've dealt with throughout your years in journalism that have been better to deal with and some who have been particularly difficult to deal with? Um, difficult to deal with is... is uh, I like you. I actually quite enjoy people that, that make it difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I think the problem you've got the difficult thing these days is that people are media trained, and sometimes you can you can look at 
players talking and you just know it's been drilled in them. Yes, you know, it's going to be a really tough game and we know we're going to have to be as good as we can be. And and sometimes you just want them to say, go to just tell us what you think. So that, I think that's difficult because it's really hard to wring anything interesting out of the guys. Um, I used to have, he's still a, he's, he's a, he's a good friend of mine now, but Ian McCall, who's now at Partick Thistle, we got off really on the wrong foot when he was a younger manager, uh, when he was at Clyde Bank, when Clyde Bank were going through that spell where they were about to play up and all that. And, and I remember I had a huge... At, at the time, I went to a game at East Fife, East Fife against Clyde Bank, covered up for the sun. And I went there because Clyde Bank, at that time, the fans were all invading the park and were booing their own team and they were cheering the opposition. And it was a, it was an interesting thing to write about. I remember even my calls, but an hour and a half before he came out of the dressing room, and I absolutely caned him for it in the paper. Who do you think he is? And blah, blah, blah. And for, so for about four or five years after that, every time we met, it was a, you know, it was going to be a fight. Aye. But I quite liked that because, and he quite liked it because you end up, you end up being pals. But do you know, I've found in, in, in the years with football, people are great. You know, generally people, are helpful. Like so this week, we John Robertson's in a lot of bother, you know, he's his mental health. Aye. Um, and he's been put on compassionate leave at Cali Thistle. And I would do end for John because over the years, anything I've wanted, John's always helped. Aye. And I just find if people are going to be helpful to you, then you're going to be helpful back to them. See, um, is, Bill, see, see, just on that point, I think as well, but do you know how like, the big characters that came out, they get slaughtered as well, but a wee bit, I think, the big ones that stick out for me, right, the new is, is Jason Cummins, right? I've seen him do a couple of interviews and he's very uh, honest and open and he's, he's actually quite funny as well. But then when he starts not to perform on the park, he gets a bit tight, like you're fully, fully the carry on, you're not taking your career serious and things like that. Uh, so what do you think of that? Well, I mean, sometimes you go, if, you know, it's the old talk the talk, walk the walk thing, isn't it? So, so Jason Cummings, where it kind of turned for him was the day he tried the Penenka penalty in the cup semi-final. And he misses it. But he's interviewed after it when he compared himself to Pirlo. No, I mean, I think that's. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, don't, don't get me wrong. If 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 you ask any any journalist, they'll say, you know, Neil Lennon. Give me Neil, Neil Lennon the right. game. Give me Yogi Hughes. You know, give me Jason Cummings. All the guys that. Martin Dale's good to know as well, Martin, isn't he, Paul? Martin that's, that's a great story to tell. Right. Um, he's he's actually he's, he's not a guy that comes out and says hugely controversial things, but even just talking to him when you know what his backstory is, is an interesting thing in itself. Right. Mm-hmm. But it'd be very hypocritical. And, and listen, in the media, the people can be hypocritical sometimes because you do build people up and then knock them down. But we would be a, a much poorer game without the guys like, like you talk about Jason Cummings, I think like Neil Lennon, um, so many guys down the years that you can rely on to say something that's going to make headlines. And headlines is, at the end of the day, is what sells papers. I definitely. I think it's it's good for the public to see, like, see, like you say, Martindale doesn't say anything kind of too controversial or anything, but you get a, an impression of him being very relatable. Whereas you see the ones that have had a lot of the media training, you see, ah, yeah. particularly down south, where they don't come out, they're very robotic in a sense. They don't offend anybody, they don't offend the club. But Martindale seems like, oh, I quite like that guy because I can relate to him. It's an interesting thing because when David Martindale came to Livingston at first, people started to find out they had a bit of a background, but nobody really either He's been knew. there for years, hasn't he? So he's, no, it's never been brought up until yeah, he got the manager's and, job. And it's one of these ones that people kind of knew 
but left it. And then when the chance of becoming a manager came up when Gary Holt left and he was going to have to face the, the SFA fit and proper person test, people started to ask a few questions and people were a little bit kind of, David, you've had a bit of a past and he told you a few things. But then there was a brilliant interview on Football Focus on the BBC um, before the semi-final with St Mern, where Connie McLaughlin got him to talk properly about what had happened and what he'd been involved in. And he talked really well about it. And I think it cleared the air. And now people are, great. well, the guy's done his time. He's, he's, uh, he's rehabilitated himself. And I think people now just go, right, that's out. That's out in the open. Let's just do him as a football guy, which I think is absolutely fair. Uh, I think that people... Oh, sorry, is that on you go, Mitch? I've just got one big thing that always gets on me with like, like the media thing. I think like, a lot of people are quick to criticise media, but they're... Also, it, it it does a lot of good for the game as well. Um, so it's, I actually just lost my train of thought. I, <laughs> I, actually had, I actually had a very good point. Aye, that's what it was, Bill, sorry. That's what it was, right? So, Can edit this what, ah, no, no, we'll keep this in. This is a good that, stuff. That, that is the first mare I've had. Uh, must have been that one came aside that I had watching the Rangers game. It's the first mare he's had tonight. <laughs> no, but it must, it must annoy you, right, Bill, because this was one for me. I told a boy in work, right, that well, we're going to speak to you tonight, and he goes, oh, but always slags the Celtic and all that, and uh, me knowing, and us knowing that your background and that you're a St. Mum fan, you can't win, can you, be I've always thought that if if the two sides, Rangers fans and Celtic fans, both think you're against them, then you're, then you're doing all right. Um, I mean, I, I, I was actually, I'd been asked about two weeks ago by a friend of mine who's involved with a Celtic podcast, said, would you come on the podcast? I said, absolutely fine, I no problem at all. And then he came back to me about two days ago and said, um, <clears throat> listen, I've said to some of the boys you were coming on and they're not very keen, you know. And I says, well, that's fine. That's, if they don't want to, if they don't want to, they don't want to listen to somebody's story and that, if, that, if that's how people feel, then that's absolutely fine. But I get it from, I get it from Celtic fans saying, oh, you never criticise Rangers. And then I get it from Rangers fans saying, you never criticise Celtic. Because everybody, the, the more, I think the bigger the club you support, and you guys know that, you, there's one Rangers fan, one a Celtic fan, the more kind of one-eyed you get about media coverage. Aye. You tend to think that everybody's, everybody's got it in for you, you know? Aye. But it must great in you when you're sitting like maybe, like, you're seeing a lot of things maybe if it's on social media and all that, and you're going, I, I, I don't, I don't do it. Because you know, you, know, you know in yourself what your beliefs are and what you follow. I don't do, I don't do Twitter. Um, right. my, I had an, uh, my last editor, but one was really keen for me to do Twitter, and I, and I didn't want to do it, and I did it, and it was like opening a great big sewage pipe for me. It was just right, and to be honest, the level of some of the grief I've had from Rangers and Celtic fans over the years caused me a lot of issues. I, I allowed it to cause me a lot of issues, and it's a funny thing because it led to me having. Anxiety attacks and um, and actually I got diagnosed with depression about nine years ago, uh, nearly ten years ago, and a lot of it was to do with the fact that I was waking up every day thinking, "What am I going to hear today? What's going to be on there today?" But once I stopped allowing it to happen, it changed a lot of things for me. And actually, what, I've, what one of the things I've, I've I've done over the years is after coming through anxiety, depression, I've actually got into mental health coaching. Uh, I'm actually just about to launch my own mental health practice and website and blogs and all that kind of stuff. Um, and a lot of it comes from the fact that I allowed myself to get upset 
for these things. And now I want to see, because other people are getting, especially during lockdown, people are getting so upset by things they can't control. Well, so well, I've, I've, gone and, I've gone and retrained and, and that's that's one of the things I want to put my time into. We really appreciate you sharing that. This was something, if you don't mind, I've got it in my notes, we're going to come back to that at the end of the show, if you don't mind. Okay. Um, but I appreciate you saying that, to be honest. And I get, like, Twitter for us, is for myself and Dak, is our biggest platform for getting the podcast kind of known and stuff. Absolutely. But at the same time, it's faceless. So you're getting all these people who can say whatever they want without any repercussions because there's nothing tied. And you obviously see the stuff where people are saying you should have to put in kind of who you are, maybe a phone number or whatever to be on these platforms. But it's kind of, like you're saying as well, touching on it, I touch wood, I'm quite fortunate. My mental health's pretty sound in my opinion, so I'm all right that way. But I can see how we can get people with people constantly kind of coming at you and all that. And But I suppose the way you need to look at it is that's not somebody's opinion you would take seriously face-to-face because you don't know who it is, but it can, it can wear you down if it's in that kind of media. From my point of view, it became personal as well because I'd be going to matches mm-hmm. and having to get, I remember one one night away in, in Europe, a Rangers game in Poland, having to get security out of the ground yeah. uh, because people were hurling things and, and spitting at you and stuff. And there's certain grounds in Scotland where uh, the press box is in a stand where away fans go. And it just became a, a, a no-go for a while for me. You just you just couldn't do it because it was just, people were actually just turning around to you the whole game, just giving you... Ah, it's... And that that it's for a, me became better. So the only thing you can do is take yourself out of the situation and say, right, I'm, 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 not, I'm going to deal with it a different way. I'm, I'm not going to let them... I'm not going to obsess with them. I'm going to stay away. But if you want to talk about that later, we'll talk about it. We'll get on to that later. Yeah. Um, Obviously, with these, it's kind of difficult for us just trying to keep it kind of short because that's the aim of the, the game for us. But have you got any good stories of your time, kind of funny stories or anything? Millions. I mean, I, I've, I've been dead. I'm dead lucky. I, I think I've been to something like through my job about 75 countries and, you know, World Cups and all that kind of stuff. I was thinking today, somebody was talking to me the other day about a trip we did uh, in 2005 to Minsk. Right, Scotland were playing Belarus, and in those days you played the 21s on the Tuesday and, and the full team on the Wednesday. I remember on the Tuesday night in the stadium in Minsk, and it absolutely tipped from the heavens, right? And this is one of these stories that to me is really funny having been there, right? And it, I remember it just rained and it rained. It's an open bowl, there's no roof in the stadium, there's no, you couldn't write, you couldn't use your laptop, nothing. And it got to half time, and Rainer Bonoff and Morris Malpass were in charge of the 21s. And I remember saying, and down and saying, is this game going to abandoned? And they said, we'll try to get it abandoned. Because by this time, there was water running up the tunnel, right? There was water running in the dressing rooms, right? And the referee, wasn't it? So the game, the, the half time lasted about an hour and a half. I remember being in this wee room underneath the, the stand and Rainer Bonoff came in and saying, the game's going to go ahead. I've just found out the referee goes on holiday tomorrow. And if he abandons the game, he's going to have to play it tomorrow. <laughs> and he'll have to cancel his holidays, right? So this game went on and the ball wouldn't move. I mean, it was ridiculous. So we covered the game from a, like a week in a broom cupboard. I think it was about 12 years in this we covered. We all our laptops, you know, on our knees and stuff. And we were taking it in turns to run out a tunnel every two minutes 
to see if it. So we'd say to the Morris Malpass, send him a wee the shot, it hit the bar, and went over right back in again. Scotland, a shot that hit the bar. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> How ridiculous a way is it to make a living? You know what I mean? I, I, I don't know. I've, I've, I've got ah oh, memories, man. I just you go so many places, you see so many things, and I think a lot of the stories that you that you have doing this job are kind of you had to be there. Aye. Type story. Aye. But I, I'm I'm. Oh man, just so fortunate with the places we've been and the things. It kind of shows. It's good hearing that as well because it shows a less glamorous side where the punter thinks, "Oh, you're sitting in plush seats in the box. You're, you're able to do this. Do that. You're seeing all the players. You're interacting with them, and then you're actually having to run out of a broom cupboard to so, find so, out what's happening." Sounds like the dugouts in the, the dressing rooms. We get changed in some of the away dressing rooms at all level. No, <laughs> the dugout at Clyde Bank, uh, the, uh, the old, uh, old Colbury when I started at Clyde Bank. The dugouts were in the wee doll's house pavilion and the press box was behind the Clyde Bank dugout, right outside the Clyde Bank dressing room door. And I used to do a bit of, a bit of radio sometimes. You know, the local newspaper would come and say, can you cover it for Radio Fourth or something? Give me a wee, you know, they're playing a team for the East, whatever. And I'd, Clyde Bank would be 3 nothing down and I'd be saying in the radio, oh, it's, the goalkeepers have an absolute stinker and he's going to have to make changes soon. And the, the manager's sitting about... <laughs> funny, going on that, right? so, but I was just thinking about, about the, the lack of glamour. In 1995, Celtic played Dynamo Batumi from Georgia in the Cup Winners. First round of the Cup Winners Cup, Tommy Burns, Billy Stark in charge. And we got to Batumi and Georgia was just coming out of Civil War. The place was a shambles. And we got to the stadium and we were in this, we, we, I always remember, we stayed in the Hotel Sputnik and we stayed with Celtic and with the team and with the board and that kind of stuff. We went in the game and they were still welding fences around the press box when the game started. And they were setting our trousers on fire with sparks. <laughs> and after the game, we at the press, when we finished our stuff, we helped Celtic get their, um, or their kit out onto the bus and stuff because they, they were just, the place was, a, was an absolute... Mess, and they were flying back for Georgia to uh, Istanbul to stay the night because you, you, they they'd booked this just to get out of there. And the plane had to leave before it, it was dark because they had, there was no lights on the runway and they couldn't get the plane to go because there was cows on the runway. <laughs> and then as it started to get dark, the, the Georgians started demanding that we Fergus McCann gave them money to let leave. <laughs> And we Fergus just wasn't having it. And there was a standoff as the darkness came down. I thought, we're going to have to stay in this airport. And I don't know when we're ever going to get away. And I think we, Tam Burns, went to see McCann and said, That's uh-huh. going to pay this money and run. <laughs> Take your money and run, Chris. <laughs> and we, got, we got ourselves on the plane and get out, get the cows out the road and flew out of Georgia. And I'm so happy never to be back to you. Uh-huh. <laughs> right, before we move on to our wee, uh, our wee piece we've got, I've been told by a friend and former colleague of mine who I think you know, John Gibson, mm-hmm. who uh, Gibby told me to ask you yeah. about the, the Wally Waters story. Which one? The one where he was going to say it about you. Oh, Wally Waters is always going to say it about me. <laughs> uh, Wally Waters and John Gibson were one of the best double acts in the world. Um, and I asked the daughter, there's about six occasions when Wally Waters was, was going to lose the plot with me because I used to slaughter him all the time. Um, mainly because 
I mean, he was a chunky striker, wasn't he? I don't know who he is. Right, Willie Waters was an absolutely brilliant footballer, part-time level. I'm glad you said that, PG, because I didn't have a clue. I was just like, yeah. in case I enjoyed one Willie Waters put it to Marnock when Tommy Burns was there. And right. then he was still in Albion, Stenhouse Muir. He was, he was about the place. He was a really good, really good striker. But he was... His, his body fat was, you know, what I mean, he was, uh, you know, if you if 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 some if you ask for a present, if uh, if you ask for a present, it's something that went from not to sixty in three seconds. It would be a set of scales, you know what I mean. <laughs> and, um, but John Gibson and him were up were a double act, and I had about a year or so where I used to again, just when I turned about forty, I decided to take up marathon running. And uh, John McVeigh was a manager at Stenish Muir, and he invited I, I knew John well, and he invited me in to train with him Tuesdays and Thursdays. And John Gibson and Willie Waters were um, were absolutely brilliant. I mean, see if you can get into a, I mean, for me, to get into a dressing room like that, uh, with boys like that for a whole year and train with them, and, and of course, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm slagging Willie for being heavy. You know, <laughs> but I'm 40 year old at that time, and I was and I was trying to get, get weight off, and it was it worked really well. The training with them really helped. But to be in a, you know, a second division dressing room for a year really shows you exactly what football right. was about. And Willie and John and my good pal Des McKeown was there and um, Willie McCulloch in goals and oh, some great, some absolutely great boys. And as I say, I could probably, I'd need to pick between about six times and Willie <laughs> Walker was going, was, was, I was going to say he was going to chase me around the pitch, but... That might have been the slowest race in the history of the world. <laughs> well, I think Gibby will be pleased because um, he's been getting on. I mean, he's doing a great job at Blantyre and he's one of our guests that's going to be coming on soon. Anyway, John, John Gibson is an absolutely great boy. And I actually wrote in about 2003, I wrote a novel, right, which I think about nine people bought called Charlie Spuds, which is it's kind of a football version of a kind of lock, stock, two smoking barrels kind of idea, right? Right. And both Willie and John are characters in it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Love that. He's called Gibby Johnson. <laughs> the, other one's called Willie. the other one's called Willie Walters, and he's a fat centre forward. <laughs> I wonder if they knew who they were. Right, we're, we're going to move on. So, Bill, this is a wee thing we're doing. Um, we did a Beat the Dak with Gordon Duncan. Um, Dak doesn't even know that we're going to do this. I just came no. up with it earlier. So this is called How Well Do You Know Your Club? So, you've got four questions. They're the same questions. Dak being a Rangers fan, you've been a St. Man. My yeah. club's Ashfield. Uh, uh, right. So, Dak, this should be easy for you. Your club's only eight years old. So, or nine <laughs> years old, sorry. Right. First question, Bill, since you're our guest, you'll go first. Okay. Who, who has made the most appearances for St. Man? Chuck Murray. Well, okie dokie. Dak. Who has made the most appearances for Rangers? John Gregg. Right. 1-0 to Dak. Shuggy Murray has made the most league appearances for St Mirren, but Willie Telfer has made the most appearances for St Mirren. Um, Number two, Dak, it's an easy one for you. Who is the top goal scorer of all time at Rangers? Alan McCoist. And the same question to yourself, Bill. Yours are definitely harder, to be honest. Uh, all time. David McRae. 
Beautiful. Two uh, two one to Dak. Who was the first ever manager for St. Mum? Well, depends what when you get a manager. Um, I can't remember. Um, I should know this. Willie Reid. Willie Reid, right. Dak, who was the first ever manager for Rangers? To be honest with you, I don't know, but if you're seeing him, he's no Ali McCoy, so if we were just going back to the <laughs> <laughs> I think sweet for me, no? Yeah, yeah. Both wrong. The first for Rangers was Willie Wilton, and the I first the first for St. Martin was John McCartney. There you go. Um, right, this one is to the closest hundred. Dak, your first, what is the capacity of Ibrooks? I'm going to go with 49,850. Right. And, Bill, what is the capacity of St. Martin's New Ground? Which nobody ever knows the name of. Um, oh, it's Saminka or something. I don't know what it is. Smicer. Smicer. Yeah. I was close. I was close. We just call it the Figi Dome. <laughs> 8,900. Dak, what did you say? 49,950, I think. Well... I'm quite glad at this. Bill, you were closer. Ibrox is 51,080. Uh, the Fige Dome is 8,023. So, Bill was closer. Which, so takes well us, in, Bill. which takes us to a tiebreaker. Oh. Right. So, the closest wins here. The first ever game between Rangers and St. Mern was the 4th of October, 1890. How many goals were scored in that game? Bill, you're first. Seven. Seven, Dak. Nah, I'm going to go with Merring, about ten. Dak, I can't believe you've got that on the nose. Have I? Aye, eight two to Rangers. Oh, how <laughs> many penalties? I did eight penalties. I've uh, redeemed myself. Who was in goal? The Royal Antwerp, a rainy pony. Tavin Barisic got a hat trick each that day. <laughs> but funnily enough, the second ever St. Mun Rangers game was seven three to Rangers, so another ten goal thriller. Ten goal thriller. So I can't, I can't believe I've told that. That, that brings us to the end of how well do you know your club? Um, Dax, the winner there. Oh. Right, Bill, before we finish up, um, you mentioned about your uh, the mental health stuff. I'd seen somewhere that you had done some, like you mentioned the marathons for charity and stuff. You also take some spin classes. Mm-hmm. And is it true that you are a qualified mental health therapist? It is. I, uh, I've qualified in... Um a technique called Neuro Linguistic Programming and uh, I'm just launching uh, a company called Break the Arrow mm-hmm. um, which is going to offer mental health therapy um, we'll be writing a lot of blogs doing some um, sort of videos and stuff um, just something I think is really important you know and it's something, it's something that uh, people have helped me with over the years um, and I, I, I just want to help other people Um well, Amazing, Bill. See, see, mental health's always a really important issue, but even more so with lockdown. Eh? I know, I know, it's always a, a really hard, hard thing and a lot hard for people to talk about. But really, during this last year, I think a lot, of, a lot of issues or even new cases have arisen. It's, 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 and getting treatment for it now is the hard thing. Um, the amazing thing that I've found is since I started, once I get diagnosed, we haven't anxiety and a bit of depression and stuff. I started writing about it in the paper 
Um, and then I wrote a book about it. And the number of guys in particular who have emailed me saying, I read this thing in the paper. You know, I, I, didn't, I don't know how to talk about these things. And there's you in the paper and you're talking about it. So maybe I can... And I, so if you can talk about something that people then say, oh, there's a guy that I recognise and he's talking mm-hmm. about it. Maybe I can talk about it. Right. And that's, you know, it's, that's, that's all you can try and do is pass on your your understanding of things and, and the process you've been through and hope people can maybe take something from it and, and help their own, their own uh, kind of process. When me and you would spoke um, a couple of weeks ago initially, you'd mentioned that you were going to be doing a podcast as well. And obviously this is kind of relatable for us. What's what's the thinking behind the podcast and what's the aim for it? It's, it's uh, I want to take, you mentioned David Martindale, right? So he's one of the guys I'd like to get on it because I want to talk to people. You quite often hear, like you read an autobiography and they'll say, oh, this was the day when I was at my lowest ebb and I thought the world was ending. And then the next chapter starts, but anyway, here we are now and everything's great. And there's a bit in the middle where people have to do the hard yards and the really grotty stuff that gets you back from being down there to being up there. And I, and as, um, I, want, to, I want to do a, a podcast where you get people who have made a transition in their lives, but where you don't really hear about the, the rubbishy bit in the middle, where, you know, you go, you hear rags to riches, but in the middle of rags to riches, there's, there's a really hard bit that people need to go through. And that's the relatable bit. You know, and I want to talk to somebody like David Martindale about see that bit in between waking up in a jail cell and saying, right, this is the this is the, the day I need to change my life to taking Livingston out of hand in a cup final. Mm-hmm. So much hard work must get in there, and that's and that's the bit that I think people are scared of. You right. know, maybe they go and say, Okay, I've got a problem. But they, they don't know how to get from having a problem to having a solution because it's not he said to, he's took loads of knocks on the way, Bill, that nobody knows about. It's just, you're just seeing him now as a Livingston manager and he's told his life and we have seen all the bumps in the road. Exactly. So so that's that's what the podcast is going about. So I've already got some good people lined up who have who have made what you might call a kind of leap of faith in their life. And it, and the podcast is about the bit in the middle where they're mid-air, you know? Excellent. Fair play, Bill, as well. Uh, sorry, PG, fair right. play, Bill, because... At the end of the day, you could have just sat in your comfort zone doing what you know best, and that's your, your 40 years in uh, journalism. So fair play pushing the boat and, and doing something. I'm sure a lot of people take a lot of, lot of good at that as well, mate. I appreciate that. That's, that's why I went a couple of years ago and and, um, and, and got my, my badges to be a spin instructor, because I thought, I've had nothing since my hires, since mm-hmm. I was 16. And I wanted to get a qualification, so I get I qualified as a spin instructor, then I got an advanced qualification as a spin instructor, and now I've got my qualification as a mental health therapist, and I'm going to get an advanced one later on in the year. And I think, no, you're never too old to learn something new. That's like the podcast, Paul. You've seen that earlier with my wee, uh, my wee blooper, so it's, uh, it's all about learning, isn't it? <laughs> right, well, sorry, Bill, we're going to have to stop there. Um, it's been absolutely a pleasure speaking to you. Just on your podcast, I briefly mentioned this to you before as well. We've spoken to him. If it's something you're interested in, episode three of your podcast, a boy Paul Pettigrew who yeah. founded Gam Talk, who yeah. and I, I can't stress it enough. Paul's story is incredible. For being 18, having a horrific gambling addiction, talking about taking trying to take his own life and stuff, and he's only 24 now. He's in with the schools and stuff. Honestly, but you couldn't go further with than Paul because he's he's Absolutely. excellent. 
and it's worth it's worth looking that down the road for you. Stories need to be told over and over again until people are really aware of them. You know, aye, definitely. Oh. Well, 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 again, I'm on. Oh no, honestly, it'd be great for you. Um, again, Bill, we really appreciate you taking the time. Well, you talk, man, Bill. Really appreciate your time, mate. Thank you. Yeah, and Bill, can't believe you let the dark the dark meister beat you there, mate. I had, I had to. You're on a you're, <laughs> you're, 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 you're